What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. Hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. We got some cool announcements coming up over the next week or so, at EthosFantasyBB, and really at Sports Ethos in general. So make sure you're following over there on Twitter. That's where all of our new content will be dropped throughout the rest of the offseason and heading into the regular season as well. Podcasts, articles, different news and notes, different links to things. Everything is there for you at Ethos Fantasy BB. And check out sportsethos.com as well for the rest of our sports coverage. Basketball, football, hockey, baseball, gambling. We got we got literally everything. So just go take a look at sportsethos.com. Now today we are going to continue with the first base rankings. I think we are going to go through another 10 names today because I don't want to be rushed when I'm doing this. And I'm just thinking, you know... I was kind of panicking over the weekend, thinking we we have a finite amount of shows left until the regular season starts, and I got to do all the rest of these positional rankings. I'm going to do team previews for all 30 teams. Then I realized, you know, if we got to do a couple of weekend shows in there at some point, then that's just the way the cookie crumbles, and that's totally going to be cool with me. So we're going to do another 10 first basemen today. I'd like to get the list to 30. I have done more than 20 in my rankings. It's just a matter of figuring out timing for these podcasts, but we're going to do 30 first basemen just like we did for catchers, except we're going to break it up over three shows instead of two, because I think there's just a little bit more to go into when you're talking about, you know, the 25th, 26th first baseman, as opposed to the 25th or 26th catcher. There's not really so much that's going to differentiate those guys at the catcher position. Once you get down that point of the board, where with first baseman and a lot of different other positions, it's going to be a lot deeper, so you're going to want to give a little more detail as you go down into the 20s and even into the 30s in terms of your player rankings. Now, we're going to go 30 for first base. There will be some positions, like I've talked about, outfield, we might go a little bit deeper. Starting pitching, we're definitely going to go a lot deeper. Uh, But I think 30 is a solid number to go through for most positions. Anyway, that'll be kind of our standard. Now, we went through our top 10 first basemen on Friday. If you guys have missed that one, you should go check it out. Just to quickly recap, it was Vlad Guerrero at 1, Freddie Freeman 2, Pete Alonso 3, Paul Goldschmidt 4, Matt Olson 5, Jose Abreu 6, Reese Hoskins 7, Vinny P at 8. That's Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, Nathaniel Lau at 9, and Christian Walker at 10. Those are the rankings for now in terms of the top 10. Now, I say for now because there is a small chance that you'll see certain little things move here and there. Uh, We talked on Friday about making some little adjustments, and it's still possible that we're going to do that. There will be different signings that happen. You know, for example, Matt Mervis is somebody that was ranked higher in my first base rankings before we saw the Mancini news and obviously the Hosmer news from a couple weeks or whenever that was, a week and a half ago, whenever Eric Hosmer signed in Chicago. So there's still going to be things that make us have to kind of tinker with these with these rankings a little bit. So these are not like the final version. Um, they're they're close to it. I think there's going to be, I mean, there will be some tinkering that we do in March. But for now, this is where I stand on first base. In every position, really, it'll be the same. Obviously, once we get to March, which is probably when we're going to do the starting pitcher rankings, it'll be fairly solidified by that point. But just to give you guys a heads up that there will still be uh, some movement going on. And I, I don't think that I have actually... I think I did say it for the first catcher show, but I should probably reiterate, these are your standard 5x5 five five rankings. These are not points league. This is not OBP. This is not saves plus holds. This is not whatever weird settings you got with your home league where you count, whatever, I don't know, whatever crazy stats. You, you see all kinds of different weird settings. This is just standard 5x5 five five 
Roto or head-to-head rankings because I really think that they're going to be fairly similar however you put your head-to-head and Roto. Like, I don't think there's much you can really do to differentiate between head-to-head and Roto rankings, assuming you're talking five-by-five either way. So these are going to apply for both. I know some people won't like that, but that is the way it is here. So let's continue going on from number 11. Now, Christian Walker was my number 10 first baseman, like I said. Number 11, I got Andrew Vaughn here, and I really am in on Andrew Vaughn this season. I think that there's there's a number of factors, really. He was somebody who wasn't really being used correctly in terms of his position, for one. I mean, he was playing in the outfield a lot more than he probably should have. He is a natural first baseman. Now he gets to play first base with Jose Abreu out of town. So just being restored to the position that he is, you know, naturally plays, that he's most comfortable with, you have to assume anyway, uh, that will be something that probably takes a little bit of the, the head games away from him instead of having to worry about, am I going to perform up to par in a position where I'm not really the most comfortable versus, okay, I can just go out there and play my position that I've grown up playing and that is my number one position, and I'm going to be, you know, solidified in my playing time, not have to really worry about about anything other than just swinging the bat and playing, you know, all right defense, which is something that we should be able to expect from him. Now, Andrew Vaughn, he's not going to steal your bases. That's just not something to expect. There's a chance he might give you one or two, but it's not really what you'd be drafting him for. He's going to give you solid production in the other four categories. Home runs, he's probably going to be giving you, and, I mean, depending on where you look at your projections – He's probably going to be, he's expected to give you about 20. And I think that that's a fairly reasonable number to expect about 20 home runs. Steamer has him at 23, the bat at 19, uh, the bat X at 20. That's, that's right about the ballpark that you should be expecting from him about 20 home runs, about 70 to 75 RBIs and about, you know, 70 to 75 runs. Now there is a chance for those RBIs to go even higher and the RBIs, there's a little bit of variance on the projections, nothing too crazy. Uh, just between 69 and 78. But there's definitely a chance for him to hit on the higher end of that of that number. Now, he's not replacing Jose Abreu necessarily. I mean, kind of, in a way, he is. I mean, it's hard to really look at it as a one-for-one. One. He was already there, too, so he's not a replacement. But in terms of that, you know, that production that they're going to need to replace, I think that he can give you something similar to what Jose Abreu has been giving you all these years, which is close to 100 RBIs, 20-plus home runs, you know, closing in on, like, 100 runs scored. I don't necessarily expect that from him, but I think that it is a legitimate possibility that he can give you Abreu light kind of numbers, 20 home runs. I, I know I said 75 and 75 for the runs and RBIs, but that's probably, like, the lower end of, of what I'm going to expect from him, honestly. Like that's a pretty conservative projection. And I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not doing projections in terms of actual stats. I'm just doing the rankings here based on other people's projections and based on my own gut feelings and previous performances. I'm not actually looking at individual players and saying he's going to hit 19 home runs and drive in 62 and steal two bases. I think that the, you get too much in the weeds doing that. And at the end of the day, I don't think it matters so much, especially when there are so many great systems that are already out there doing it. I think that we're going to get from him you know, what the systems are telling you is probably fairly accurate, but I think that it's probably on the lower end in terms of the RBIs and the runs that you're going to expect. But it's, I I guess it's a fair projection just because, you know, projections by their nature are trying to be relatively conservative. But this lineup can be very, very good this year. It has the potential to be one of the best in baseball with Tim Anderson, Ben Intendi, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, Yohan Moncada, and then Vaughn, uh, Yasmani Grandal, Gavin Sheets, and Romy Gonzalez, who I'm not sure, who knows who's going to start at second base of the White Sox. Really not too sure about that. But 
Andrew Vaughn is going to have a lot of RBI potential. A lot of runs are going to be scored there. I mean, RBIs is going to be probably something that you look at more than runs for him just because of all the great bats hitting in front of him. There, there are some wild card potentials here uh, with the White Sox. Forgive the odd phrasing. Like, if Lou Bob stays healthy, if Eloy stays healthy for the whole year, which I'm still skeptical about, then we could see some just ridiculous numbers come out of Andrew Vaughn in that six hole. A five, six hole, wherever he ends up batting. Maybe he ends up, you know, in the four spot. Who knows where they, what they're going to do with it. But I think those RBIs are going to be a huge point for him. And also, I haven't even mentioned it yet, but the batting average. You know, he batted 271 last season. He ran a fairly average BABIP of 301. I think the batting average is something that we can see, you know, probably in that same kind of range of 270-ish. He's projected across the various systems uh, for 263, 264, 260. I think that you're looking at probably that's about the bottom line that you're going to get from him, 260, 270 kind of range. I really think that he is going to be a good value where he's going in drafts. Now, I'm looking at uh, all draft champions. This is from December 1st onwards. That's what we've been doing here. If you look at all of them, it's kind of too much data, but I don't want to filter just from too recently either and just have not enough data to go off of. But from 28 draft champions that have happened since the beginning of December, he is going as the 12th first baseman at pick 147 on average. 119 is the min pick. 163 is the max. Anywhere in that range for me, I think you're getting good value out of Andrew Vaughn. You're also getting somebody who is eligible in the outfield. I don't know if he's going to carry that over for very long. We'll see if he ends up playing much outfield this year at all. But regardless, for this season, you get a dual eligible guy who's going to give you solid production in four categories, and he is on a team that should just overall rebound now that they don't have to deal with Tony La Russa anymore. So I am big on Andrew Vaughn. I mean, I'm only one spot in my ranking ahead of where he is in terms of the ADP, but I, I like him more than this ranking might indicate. First base is just fairly deep. There's guys above him that are, you know, very, very good players. That's why he is ranked 11th. But, you know, he is, he is somebody that you should be keeping an eye on for sure, Andrew Vaughn. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of shares, and I think you guys should too. But let's keep going. We're going to talk about the next guy on my list, and that's Ty France. I like Ty France quite a bit. I mean, I loved Ty France right at the beginning of the season this past year. He was ridiculous, and I forget which podcast we were doing it on. I think it was when Rob Silver joined the show, and we were talking about buy low and sell high, I think. Don't quote me on that because it was a long time ago now. But Ty France at that time, which was about a month or so into the season, was the number one player in fantasy baseball at the time. It's ridiculous to even think about now. But that's how good he was. And Ty France can give you that same kind of production again. Uh, you know, over the course of a full season, he is still somebody who is very capable of giving you, you know, he's very similar to, to Andrew Vaughn, really, in terms of the production he's going to give you. Four categories without the stolen bases, he's going to give you 20-ish home runs, you know, 75, 80 runs scored, 75, 80 RBIs. That's probably what you can expect from France. And, I, you know, I, I really like him without trying to sound too generic here saying just I like him. He's in a great lineup. He is a great young player who hits the ball pretty damn hard. He doesn't strike out a lot at all. Like we're talking for the career 17% strikeout rate. This past year was only 15%. Relatively durable, 140 games this year, 152 last year. And I just got to take a look and make sure here in terms of the eligibility. Um, but I think that he's still going to have second base. Oh, maybe he doesn't have second base. Let's see how many times he played there last year. It's going to depend, I think on where you are playing. Uh, different sites have different uh, different eligibilities based on how many games you've played. Now, let's take a look at Ty France uh, appearances here. I'm just pulling up the baseball reference because I had 
uh, what's it called, open instead. I had fan graphs. So he played six times at third base. Only played once at second last year. That's kind of surprising that he only played once at second. Uh, the previous year was 21 times. He didn't play there at all in 2020. He's typically given you a 10-plus appearance at the second base. He's not going to carry that. On the NFBC, he's just going to be first base eligible. But I think in your different home league kind of formats and Yahoo and the rest of them, I believe he will have third base, given that he played six times there last year. So that is something else to consider. Uh, another fairly weak position in third base that you can slot him into. And that's going to, of course, depend on where you're playing, but something to keep an eye. I know a lot of the listeners are not playing in NFBC formats. That's just what a lot of the content is geared to in the offseason because that's really all that there is to go off of. They're the only people or the only people who are drafting right now, for the most part anyway, are playing in NFBC leagues. There are some people who might be doing, I think Underdog has opened up, I think. Uh, Fantrax is, is open as well, I think. But for the most part, we're going off of NFBC. I don't even think there is Fantrax ADP at this point. We're going off of that, but it's something to keep in mind that later on in the season, uh, he could potentially gain another position or, you know, depending on what site you are, he's already going to go into the season with that eligibility. So something to keep in mind, he's batting probably probably going to bat second in that lineup. You have to expect, uh, you know, anywhere in the top three, really. It's, it's hard to figure out how Seattle is going to arrange this lineup. I think Julio is going to lead off. And then probably France, but I mean... It's it's tricky still. Like, they could opt for maybe they go Colton Wong. No, I think it's probably going to be France second, and then maybe Teoscar third, Eugenio Suarez four, uh, Cal Raleigh five. I don't really agree with what they have at roster resource here, but I think regardless, you're going to see Ty France hitting somewhere in the top of that lineup. He's going to have Julio on base quite a bit as he tries to drive him in, and, you know, you're probably going to see, like I said, very similar numbers to Andrew Vaughn, 20, 80, 80, and, like, 270. That's that's honestly very, very similar projections. Not that I, like I said, I'm not doing projections, but if I were to, you'd be seeing very similar numbers out of the two of them. And I can actually just pull up here and see what the bat has projected for them. Ty France projected for 19 homers, 71 runs, 73 ribbies, 268 batting average. Yeah, it's pretty much pretty much what I was expecting there. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, according to the bat, is 1968 and 69. It's like exactly the same almost. 1971 and 73, 268 batting average versus 260. You're looking at the same player based on projections. I think they're very close, and you can honestly, you know, they're pretty interchangeable in terms of these rankings. Let's keep it going with number 13. This is the first one where I'm kind of going off the board a little bit in terms of any of my rankings. Catcher, I didn't really rock the ship too much, I don't think. I kept it, you know, I, I, I like them. I, agree. I, I like them. I agree with them. They're my rankings, of course. I like them and agree with them. But I didn't really go, you know, jumping 10 spots above ADP or whatever. I pretty much, I was fairly conservative in terms of where I was placing people. Now, first base, it, I'm still not going crazy here. No one is, you know, getting jumped into the top five from outside of the top 20 or anything like that. But the first big kind of jump for me in terms of guys here, I have Jake Cronenworth at number 13, and that's probably a bit higher than you're going to see him in other lists. He's 20th based on ADP, but man, he should be going a lot higher than he is. And, you know, I, I just don't really understand why he is not more respected than he is in the fantasy community. You're not talking about somebody who is a stud or anything, but you're talking about, and I'm going to just make sure of his eligibility before I say it, because he's somebody who is, he can play all over the infield and he can actually play all over the infield as a side note at like gold glove quality defense, Jake Cronenworth can, 
But let me pull up uh, baseball reference here and just take a look at his eligibility because my computer, I've said it a couple times recently, it's been very slow. It's been very frustrating. So I'm just using my phone on the side to just pull up uh, where he played last year in terms of his eligibility here. Forgive me, guys. I know it's great radio. Uh, first and second, and I believe he'll have short depending on your your format because he played there nine times. So he won't have it in NFBC leagues, I don't believe. He'll just be first and second in NFBC leagues, but in Yahoo, he'll have short. I think on CBS, he will. Uh, yeah, I think that's what he's going to have. But first and second eligibility, I mean, my second base rankings, you're going to see him pretty high up there. I'm a big fan of Cronenworth. And we talked about, we've talked about the Padres ad nauseum at this point about what how I feel about them in terms of their prospects for this coming season. They're going to be just incredible offensively. They really are. And I think Jay Cronenworth is going to slot into the middle of that lineup somewhere, and he is going to give you similar production what he's given you these past couple years. And it, there's a potential for it to even be even better. So last season, Jay Cronenworth gave you 17 homers, 18 or 88 runs, 88 RBIs, and stole three bases. Batted 240. It's not great. The year prior, 21 homers, 94 runs, 71 RBIs, four steals, and the 266 batting average. Great seasons. Both years, great. Now, his projections for this season, a little conservative. 16 homers, 73 runs, 68 ribbies, 4 steals, and a 250 batting average. Generally, a little bit lesser than what we got out of him last year, specifically in the counting stats. Batting average, a touch better. Uh, you know, it, it's fairly close. But when you're talking about a team that's added Xander Bogarts, and I know... They're they're kind of a hard team to figure out at this point because, you know, when you're looking at the lineup, there's no Juan Soto, or not Juan Soto, there's no Fernando Tatis Jr. We don't know exactly where he's going to slot in. But you're talking about just adding another stupidly elite bat to that lineup to just add on to the counting stats potential for Cronenworth. He could give you 100 RBIs. Like, depending on where they put him in the lineup, I don't think it's crazy to expect close to 100 RBIs out of Jake Cronenworth. Like 88 and 88 last year, 94 and 71. What, However the combination is going to work for him, I think there's a good chance that you're going to see, I'm going to say 175 runs and RBIs as a baseline. And that's that's what he's done these last two years, 175 or 165 um, in 2021, and then 176 this past year. I think 175, you can expect that from him. Like that's something that is going to happen with his eligibility, considering, I mean, there are some things not to like as well. It's not all rosy, and I know I'm, I'm painting him in a, in a nice light, and I think he should be painted in a nice light. He's just somebody where he's a little confusing at the, at the end of the day to rank just because his batting average has gone down. The home runs, you know, we think that he can hit 20 home runs, but we're really not sure 100% what to expect from him. He is a little bit tricky to rank, but at the same time, you're talking about somebody who is just in a better lineup. There's nothing else that's really changed from him. Yes, the batting average in the last couple of years has not been great. It's going downwards. But the counting stats should be going up. The steals are going to be there a little bit. It's nothing crazy, but four, five steals should be in the cards for him. And you're talking about a guy who's going to be in the middle of this juggernaut of a lineup that's likely to be some combination of, you know, Kim leading off and then Soto, Machado, Tatis, Bogarts. I'm not sure how they're going to organize it, essentially. It's it's. We, we have no idea when Tatis comes back in there, if he's going to bat second, if he's going to lead off, bat fourth. But it's a stupid, stupidly good lineup. And Jake Cronenworth being where he is in terms of ADP, which is right around pick 200, I think that's a huge bargain. If you're talking about even if he's just, just first base or just second base eligible, 
the fact that he's got both of them, and I, I know I'm not a huge eligibility guy. If you might have heard that on the Wire podcast I did, I was kind of poo-pooing eligibility, just saying it gets overblown a little bit, but second base sucks. First base is not quite as deep as it once was. It's it's a nice little combination of positions to have. So I've jumped up seven spots in terms of ADP on Jake Cronenworth. I feel very confident in the in the projection, though. Like I think that he is still somebody who potentially could even jump inside of the top 10. If he gives you that batting average like we saw a couple years ago, there's no reason why he couldn't be a top 10 first baseman. And that's the question. It's a, it's a big if. But, you know, if we see the batting average jump back up, which is not you know out of the realm of possibility, he's 28 years old. He's given you a 260-plus season in his rookie year, which was granted a shorter sample size. He gave you a 285 batting average. He doesn't strike out a hell of a lot. He's got a good walk rate. Overall, the profile is really good. So Jay Cronenworth, for me, uh, he is somebody that I feel very, very confident drafting anywhere near his ADP, which as of right now is 196 over these last 28 drafts. So I think you're getting a really good bargain if you are taking him there. But let's move on. We spent a lot of time on him. I am dealing with this with these awful glitches on my computer, and I'm not sure if it's Fangraphs because I did hear some people saying that Fangraphs had been giving them some grief for a while. I think it's more likely that it's just my outdated computer. Probably need to do a bit of an upgrade there, but regardless, we'll keep going. We'll talk about the next guy on my list, and that is our old pal, Rowdy Telez. And I say our old pal, more of my old pal in Toronto, He's somebody that I loved when he was a Blue Jay, and he never really got a proper chance to flourish here. He was blocked at first base because of fly. That's the problem with the catcher conundrum the Blue Jays had as well. Between Kirk and Jansen, there was no room to have any Rowdy Telez DH at bats. Not really, anyway. But, man, he turned into a very good player very quickly in Milwaukee. And he was somebody where, you know, there was some talk last year and I know this is all really depending on your format because there's some leagues where there was no chance at all you were going to drop Rowdy Telez there were some leagues where he might have not been a great option for you depending on the depth but in your standard 10 12 team leagues there was a time last year when people weren't really that big on him still he was somebody that wasn't the most attractive fantasy player gave you a kind of a bad batting average but he gave you 35 home runs last season 89 RBIs, he had 67 runs scored, he even stole two bases, and he played 153 games. Like overall, even though the batting average was you know pretty poor, he gave you an incredible season. And if you look at the BABIP, it was 215, so there's definitely room for that 219 batting average to jump back up, and the projections all have him in the 240s. Like the projections for Rowdy Telez are really, really good. Depending on where you look, and really regardless of where you look, he's expected to be a 30 home run, 80 RBI, 240 hitter. That is incredible. Like, for, for a guy that the Blue Jays kind of discarded, traded him for Trevor Richards, I think, it, oh God, even as I say that out loud, it's awful. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there was not really any room for Rowdy Telez. It's just a, it's just an unfortunate situation that we had to move on from him. But he, he flourished. And he is somebody where, you know, again, the price is pretty damn good for next season. 177. He's going off the board as the 14th, or excuse me, the 17th, uh, first baseman. I have him as my 14th first baseman, but I'm very, very comfortable to jump up a little bit there just because of the power you're going to be getting from him. At this point in your draft, especially in terms of first baseman, he there's not really anybody else who's going to be able to give you that 30 home run upside. I mean, there are guys who have the potential for it. I mean, me, Josh Naylor could potentially give you 30 home runs. I mean, we're really grasping at straws here once you get to this point. There's really not that many, not that many first basemen at this point who still have that kind of power potential. Like he could give you thirty, he could give you forty and a hundred, 
40 home runs, 100 RBIs, and I don't think that would be really that shocking to anybody. The team around him, not the greatest, but also not the worst. You know, you're talking about Yelich and Willie Adamas in front of him. He's projected about third. And then following him in the lineup, William Contreras, Jesse Winker, Luis Urias, Garrett Mitchell. It's really not that bad. There's still a potential that you could see some decent runs scored from him. Uh, we talked about the batting average. Overall, like I feel very confident projecting him to be a little bit better than what people are expecting. And I think there's a bit of a disconnect for me with the projections and the ADP numbers. Like I think he should probably be a little bit higher. There's a couple of guys in particular that I'd be taking him ahead of here. Uh, a few guys, really, who are going ahead of him based on ADP. And I mean, if you look at the projections, his projections are better than some of those guys who are going ahead of him. I, I really think Rowdy is somebody where, you know, he might be better in a points league just because the batting average isn't that great. But wherever you are, if you're taking him close to pick 200, you're you're very, very comfortable in what he's going to give you. He's projected for the most home runs in that lineup, and I think that that's totally fair. You're going to see, uh, you know, you potentially could see five, six, 20 home run guys in that lineup. So, I mean, it's, even though it's not the greatest – it's really far from the worst, so I, I wouldn't be staring away from him just because you know it's not the greatest team around him. It's definitely not, but he can still give you a very good season like he did last year, and I think that there is a potential for him to even beat where I have him ranked. Like, could he be a top ten first baseman if he does hit two fifty ish? Maybe, maybe who knows two sixty maybe? Because when he was in Toronto, there was a couple of years there, and I'm just gonna pull back those. Hopefully, Fangraphs is gonna cooperate here because it hasn't really been. But, I mean, not over the biggest sample sizes, but his first year, 23 games, he batted 314. He had an incredibly high BABIP. Uh, the next year, it came back down to earth over 111 games. And then 2020, granted, it was 35 games, but he hit 283. BABIPs, for him, typically in that 270 kind of range, if he does that, I don't think there's any question that he can outperform the batting average that we've seen, especially this past season. So I, I really like him as the 14th first baseman. I think you could make the argument that he might be even better than that. But let's move on. Let's talk about number 15, and that is Anthony Rizzo. I like Anthony Rizzo a lot. He is number 14 based on the NFBC ADP. Not really moving him around so much there. Uh, I think that they're pretty much correct with where they have him uh, expected to perform this season in terms of the early drafters. And I know I, I tend to butcher some phrases that time. I definitely butchered that one. I'm fairly in line with the people who have been doing draft champions up to this point in terms of what I'm expecting out of Anthony Rizzo. Now, his projections, pretty good uh, if you're looking at... Now, hold on. Fangraphs is really not cooperating, and I think it might be my computer. I I'm going to have to do some kind of switcheroo, but apologies there, guys. His projections are 26 home runs, 73 runs scored, 71 RBIs, and a 239 batting average. That's what the bat has him expected for. I can totally see it. He's also expected to give you seven stolen bases uh, from a couple different projection systems there. He's kind of bounced around a little bit with his steals over the years. We've seen as few as two or three steals in his earlier years. We saw 17 of them in 2015. We saw 10 in 2017. It can kind of bounce around a little bit. Uh, I think, you know, five to seven is probably fair. You got that short porch in right field at Yankee Stadium. I wouldn't be shocked if he goes for 30 home runs again. He had 32 last year. The batting average was dreadful, and it's not something that we've really been used to with Anthony Rizzo. He's given you seasons that are in the high 280s. He batted 292 before, 293. These last couple of years, though, like he has fallen off a cliff batting average-wise, 222, 248, 224. 
Babips have also been terrible in that time frame, 218, 258, 216 this past season. So there is still room for him to get that back up a little bit. Now, no one is, in terms of projections, are really expecting it. 240 kind of range for the projection systems. And I think that that's probably correct. Like, I think he's definitely better than a 220 hitter. But at this stage of his career, is he going to be that much better than like a 240, 250 hitter? Probably not. Overall, you know, in that lineup, I feel pretty confident to expect these projections to be pretty correct. I think the home runs are even, you know, on the little bit on the lower side, but everything else, uh, I think it's fairly, fairly right with Anthony Rizzo. Not too much you need to get into with him. Uh, I'm pretty in line with what the general consensus is for him. Number 16, we have Ryan Mountcastle. He's somebody who is a little bit tricky to rank for me as well. I really like Ryan Mountcastle, but, you know, I don't know that we're going to see that same kind of power that we've seen in the past from him. That stadium change was just bullshit. It was just terrible. I don't know why they had to push the wall back the way that they did in Baltimore. I forget how many home runs exactly he lost this past year, but I think it was like a decent chunk of them anyway, five, seven home runs. Like he could potentially be like close to a 30 home run hitter, but I don't know that it's going to happen in that ballpark. Like they've, they really, they, they helped out their pitchers, but they really screwed over somebody like Mountcastle who went from 33 home runs the previous year down to 22 home runs, given the same amount of games played appearances were up by 25, you know, it's a shame. It's a damn shame that they had to go and do that. And it's going to nerf somebody like him. Now, originally I had him a little bit higher. I had him at like 13, bumped him down a little bit after, you know, reading into him a little bit more, looking at the projections, which are, which are good still. Uh, 26, um, the bat has him for 23 homers, 69 runs, 77 ribs, uh, four steals, and a 257 batting average. I think that that's probably fine. It's just a little bit underwhelming for me. Like, I really was hoping that he would turn into more of a 30 home run guy, and maybe he still can be. Like, I don't think we can give up on that yet, but it's a, the road is a lot harder for a pole hitting righty in that ballpark considering they move the fence back, what was it, 20 feet? 15, I don't even know how far it was. It was a good chunk. They moved it back, and I think they might have even moved the wall up too. Like just, uh, they just ruined that stadium really aesthetically, and you know for their hitters as well. So I had to take a little bit off of Ryan Mountcastle's overall ranking, partly because of that, partly because of the fact that you know the team is still good, and I, I really like the Orioles, but I think that we have to maybe keep the expectations in check a little bit in terms of the counting stats. Like I think they're going to be good. But, you know, I don't think he'll score that many runs. He had 62 this past year, 77 the year prior. The RBIs should be there, like around 80 RBIs should be there. But it's not set in stone. There are a lot of question marks in that lineup still. I, I don't really know exactly what we're going to see out of Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson. I think they're going to be really good. But over the course of a full season, I have a tough time really projecting them. Cedric Mullins, also very good, but also somebody who is, you know, if he had a horrible year this year, if Justin Mason's listening, cover your ears. I know you love you love yourself, Cedric Mullins. But if he had a horrible year, I don't think anybody would be that surprised either. You know, Santander is good. And I, I, know, I try to look at both sides of the argument because I have made the argument before that this team is on the up and up, and they are, and they could be really good. They could be a borderline playoff team. They could. They're just a really wide range of outcomes in that lineup. And I think Mountcastle, you know, the, the RBIs are probably the safest part of his outlook for next year. Like 80 RBIs should be in the cards for him. I'm just really not too sure about what the other stats are going to say. Is he going to steal you a couple bases again? Probably. He's going to bat 250, which is, you know, fairly average. I guess it's a bit of a positive in this day and age, which is crazy because the league average is whatever, 235, 240. 
So I guess that's kind of a positive still. But other than the RBIs, uh, you know, there's a, there's a wide range of outcomes for what might happen here with Ryan Mountcastle. So I'm I'm not staying away, but I'm not exactly pouncing on him either. He is not going to be outfield eligible anymore, uh, at least in the NFBC. Let me see how many times he was out there last season. He actually didn't play the outfield last season. Wow, I'm surprised. Uh, he is somebody who used to have outfield eligibility at this point, though. Just going to be first base regardless of your format, wherever you're playing. But let's move on. We are halfway through today's. Actually, no, we're more. We're past the halfway point. That's me and my math. I'm great with math. That's why I do all these projections. No, I'm just kidding. Math has never been my strong suit. I know I'm obviously kidding there, mistaking 15 for 16. But uh, part of the reason why I don't do projections is because I'm just – I'm an English major. I'm a journalism student. I am – a writer. I am a talker. I'm a big mouth. I am not a math person. I'm not a numbers person. So that is kind of the reason why I don't try. And I did try originally, trust me. When I first started, you know, doing this podcast a year ago, last preseason, trying to, you know, figure out formulas for, you know, I'm going to add war to this and I'm going to look at that. And that's just, that's just really not for me. So we leave that to the people who are a lot smarter, your Derek Cardis, your Dan Zaborskis, your Ariel Cohens. They are the guys who can put together the best projection systems. And we use them when we are, you know, talking about projections. But anyway, let's keep it going here. Let's talk about number 17 in my list. CJ Crowen. Some of you might have been wondering where is CJ Crowen because he is quite a bit higher than this based on ADP. He is the 10th first baseman going off the board. I have him at 17, and I think even that, like, I wanted to put him lower than 17. I don't really like C.J. Crone. I acknowledge that he is good, that he is somebody who is, you know, uh, a fairly solid baseball player, but he sucks outside of Colorado. He is absolutely dreadful. He's almost not even playable in Colorado. And I, I wish that I knew exactly how to credit Kevin Hastings for this. Uh, Kevin Hastings, one of the co-hosts of the On the Wire pod. I forget if, I think he was on the Sleeper and the Bust, the Fangraphs podcast a little while back, and he was talking about how the Rocky schedule breaks down. And I'm pretty sure it doesn't work like this the entire season. I think that there is part of the year where there is going to be, you know, half the week at Coors, half the week away. But I think, and you guys have to go back and listen to the Sleeper and the Bust episode from, I'm going to say a month ago, maybe a little bit longer with Kevin Hastings, maybe two months ago. Yeah, probably two months ago, where he breaks down the Rocky schedule and how that's all going to work out for fantasy purposes. Because there is when Crone is away from Colorado, he's not really startable. Like he's somebody where when he's there, like he he's crazy. And you know, the the stats overall still look very good. Uh 29 home runs this past season, 102 RBIs, he batted 257. But when you break it down by home and away, and again, I'm using my phone here because the computer is just so garbage at this point. I don't know what happened to this poor computer, but it really it really does not want to work anymore. Uh, pulling up his splits at home and away, they are drastically different here. Forgive me, guys, for kind of the, for the slow the slow radio today. This, this computer has just been a total nightmare. I didn't realize it was going to be this bad before I started. Here we go. At home. He gave you 22 home runs, 75 RBIs. He batted 302. This was in 73 games. In 77 away games, seven home runs, 27 RBIs. He batted 214. Not exactly something that you can really count on or rely on. CJ Crone is not somebody where I would be 
really that happy at all starting him away from Coors Field. Like, he is somebody where it's going to be probably really bad. Let me go back to 2021 and see what it was there. It was 69 games at home. He gave you 19 homers, a 326 average. 73 games away from home, nine homers, a 235 batting average. When he is not in Colorado, he's awful. And that's something that's definitely going to take away from the overall value of having him on your roster. As much as you know, he's going to be really good in Colorado, it's only half the time. And drafting him for that, for me, I, I, don't, really, I don't really love it. I, I, if you want to, then by all means, there are some people who will take that. There are some people who will say, I don't care. You know, I'll, I'll figure something else out when he's on the road, especially if you're in daily changes leagues. You can pick, especially in a shallow daily changes league, there will be options for you on the waiver wire. So you don't have to just worry about CJ Crone. If you draft him, then you can, you know, switch it up a little bit. You can put somebody else in there, multi-position guy, or stream somebody, however it is you want to do it. But, you know, for a lot of the time, for the pick you're going to be drafting him for, especially in these deeper, deeper formats where you're drafting 750 players, you don't really have that luxury. You take CJ Crone in the first 10 rounds, you're going to need to slash want to start him just because of that sunk cost that you've you've spent on him. He's not going to be somebody you want to put on your bench. But when he's away from Colorado, he sucks. The projections, you know, they're they're still very good. Uh, 28 home runs, 83 RBIs, a 258 batting average. But I just, I don't even trust it. I really don't. I think that he's somebody that you should just try and stay away from if possible, regardless of your league size. He's not somebody that I would want to be drafting at his price. I think he is way overpriced. I have him seven spots below this. And I think there are some guys like Christian Walker is going around later. It's it's a no-brainer for me to go Christian Walker. Andrew Vaughn is going 19 picks later. Anthony Rizzo, 30 picks later. Ty France, more than 40 picks later. And, you know, Rowdy Telez, nearly 50. So there are still options. And, see, and you know, Jake Cronenworth, who is the guy that, you know, I'm the highest on probably in the community at this point. I haven't looked at any other people's rankings, but I'm probably very high on him. He is going like 70 picks below CJ Crone, and he's got second base eligibility to boot. It's a different kind of set uh, player set type, but you're getting, you're getting very similar and I think better production from any of those guys I just mentioned past CJ Crone on the board. Not to say that I don't like him. He's still in my top 20 here. He's still going to give you probably 25 homers, probably 150 runs in RBIs combined, no steals, and a 250 batting average. I just think that, that at that point, you can get that from other players and not spend that same kind of price on them. So that's where I'm coming from. I like C.J. Crone fine, but would I want to take him over you know, anybody I just mentioned? No, I wouldn't. And he's a lot more expensive for whatever reason. It's the Coors factor. It's not something that I would read too much into for me. Uh, I'm very happy to let CJ Crone go to somebody else. Let's move on to number 18 on this list, Jose Miranda. Jose Miranda, for me last year, was really, really good. And he was, I'm not going to say he was a godsend or anything like that, but he was somebody who, if I didn't have him, I think it would have been a bit of a trickier season for me fantasy-wise. He gave me 15 home runs. He gave all of us 15 home runs, 66 RBIs. He batted 268. He also stole a base, which is just whatever because it's one base. But he came up, and he actually performed as well as he did in the minor leagues, which is not something that happens very regularly at all. Somebody comes up. He's not, I don't believe, the most highly touted prospect or anything like that. I could be wrong because I'm really not like a minor league prospect kind of guy. But Jose Miranda came up in 125 games and gave you about as good production as you ever saw from him 
in the minor leagues. He's walking, you know, granted, not a great 5.8% of the time, but he's striking out less than 20% of the time already. His BABIP was 307. It's nothing too crazy where you, you know, you look at it and you say, this can't continue. It's something that probably will continue. It should continue. And he's in a fairly solid lineup. And I'm not going to go out there and say that it's a great lineup in Minnesota, but it's not bad either. It's, it's, I don't know. Carlos Correa going back certainly helps them. I think that as a whole, they're they're not fantastic or anything, but it's not like it's one of those absolutely barren lineups like, you know, Oakland or Washington. You're still talking about a team that's going to be probably somewhere in the middle of the pack, and there's a lot of variables in this lineup as well. Like, you know, Byron Buxton about as big of a variable as there is. So is Joey Gallo. This team could be really, really good. And Miranda's probably going to slot into that fifth or sixth slot in the lineup. There is going to be a lot of RBI opportunities. There is going to be home runs that come out of him. I would not be surprised if he gives you 20. He's projected for about 21, depending on where. I mean, 21 on uh, Steam or 20 from Steamer, 16 from the bat, 16 from the bat X. You know, I think the 20 is realistic, especially considering he played 125 games last year. You know, he plays another 15, 20 games this year. Let's call it 140. I don't think that it's out of the realm for him to hit 20 home runs, drive in 75, score about 70, and also give you a really good batting average, which is something that the projections also tend to agree on, that he's going to give you somewhere between a 255 and a 270 batting average. You got to take it, and you also got to take that eligibility and run with it. First and third base, he is, wherever you're going to be playing, he's going to have first and third eligibility. He was 77 times at first, 34 times at third, so he's got that. I'm a little bit lower on him than consensus just because the consensus I think is a little bit high as the 13th first baseman off the board. I think that we're pushing it a little bit considering, you know, he was good, but I I really do base a lot of what I do on track record and what you have done in the past. And, you know, as good as he was, we're talking 125 games. It's not enough for me to take him over a guy, like even a couple picks later in Anthony Rizzo. I think it's kind of close, I think, especially because of the third base eligibility and the ADP is within three spots, but Ty France, you're getting a full round later. You're getting Rowdy Telez two rounds later. You're getting Jake Cronenworth like three, four rounds later. I I would take those guys over him just because we generally have more to base it off of. Rowdy Telez, we don't have a ton to base it off of, but even in Toronto, it was more of an opportunity thing as opposed to, you know, he was he was floundering and he couldn't find himself or something like that. He just didn't have an opportunity to really perform there because there was just not enough playing time for him. But he was given it this past year, and he he really did it. With Miranda, I'm just a little bit more hesitant just because it is just that one small sample size, as good as he is. And I still think that he is somebody who is worth drafting. That third base eligibility is really good. I just think the price is maybe a touch high. you got to get him in round 10, roughly, at pick 155. I think that it might be a bit too handsome. But I don't hate it. I really don't hate it, especially considering you can slot him in at third as well. And we'll have those third base rankings out in a couple weeks. We'll see where he slots in there. I know where he is right now. I'll keep that keep that close to the vest just because I don't want to give everything away. But I think that, you know, he's fairly reasonably priced here. I think that you can't – I mean, there are options. You don't have to take him here. He's not like the last of a tier available or something like that. But at the same time um, – I think he's I think he's good. I think he's honestly the more I talk it through, I think he's fairly well priced. Uh, I wouldn't be jumping up too much beyond this to go and draft him though. Like I already think he's on the higher side of correctly priced. So let's leave it at that. I think that he is. I think that he's a good value, and I think that there's a potential for him to to be even better than we are expecting. But let's leave it at that. Let's talk about our next guy that we have here. 
it's Josh Bell. And Josh Bell is somebody where, again, a little bit tricky to know what to expect out of him. We have seen massive home run numbers in the past, specifically in the juiced ball year of 2019. He was stupidly good, 37 homers, 116 ribs, 277 average. 2021, because you kind of throw away 2020 because, you know, it's 2020. It's 57 games. It's not really so much to look at. 2021, he gave you 27 homers, 88 ribbies, and a 261 batting average. Now, this past year, he was still very good. He wasn't quite as good as you would have expected in terms of, well, maybe he was. It depends on what you were expecting out of him. He gave you 17 home runs, 78 runs scored, 71 ribbies, and a 266 batting average. Now, he is a great on-base league guy. He walks more than 12% of the time. This past season, he was 12.5% strikeout rate at 15.8, which was the lowest it had been since his rookie season which was, of course, a very small sample size itself, uh, 45 games. So this was the best walk strikeout rate that he had had over the course of a full season. He still gave you good production. I mean, I know I said it wasn't really what you were expecting. Just because we've come to be accustomed to 20, 25, 30 home run seasons from him, 17 might feel a little disappointing. But overall, he still gave you great value. And he's going to be in a lineup that is, you know, I think really good. And it's, I don't know, some people... It really depends on who you are, how you look at this lineup. Some people will say it's a bunch of you know cheap contracts and it's whatever, it's okay, it's nothing too special. It's a it could potentially be a very special lineup out there in Cleveland. Stephen Kwan, Ahmed Rosario, Jose Ramirez, a solid top three, like incredibly solid. Followed by Josh Bell, Andres Jimenez, and Josh Naylor, and then Oscar Gonzalez, Mike Zanino, Miles Straw. Like we talked about, twenty home run potential. Uh, what what I can't even remember what team we were talking about that could have. I think it was uh, Milwaukee that could have like five 20 home run guys. You could see five, maybe six 20 home run guys here. Like in the projections, Jose Ramirez projected for 29, Josh Bell 22, Jimenez 20, Naylor 23, Oscar Gonzalez 23, Zanino 17, and if Zanino hit 20, it wouldn't shock anybody. You know, you're, you'll be looking at a very good lineup here, albeit, you know, cheaply constructed. It's not like these guys are making that much money. But they're still good quality players. You got Bell right there in the middle, batting cleanup. There's going to be a lot of run opportunities, a lot of RBI opportunities. The batting average is going to be fairly solid. We've seen that throughout his entire career. He's going to be a 260-ish hitter. Now, you're not getting any steals, but you're getting, let's call it, three and a half categories worth of production, depending on what ends up happening with the home runs. Because the home runs, I mean, it could be what they're projecting is 22. It could be, you know, 15. It could be 12 at this point. It could be 30. It's hard to say exactly. I think 22, anywhere between what the bat and steamer are projecting between 19 and 22 uh, seems fairly accurate. Everything else, I think the, they're pretty in line with runs and RBIs. Probably be about the same as last year, you know, about 150 put together. And then, like we said, about a 260 batting average. So I really like Josh Bell. I think that he is, let me just remind myself where he is going in these drafts. Um, 187 as the 18th first baseman. Pretty much right in line with where I have him. And I haven't done overall rankings yet, but that feels fairly right in terms of where he should be going. Uh, you know, 18th first baseman, yes. 187th player off the board also feels generally correct. So uh, I'm I'm in on him there at that price. I don't think that it's... I think that there's not really so much room for him to to underperform at that price. You're not paying too much like a 13th round 12 13th round I mean of course depends if you're talking 15 10 12 teamers whatever it is but at this point of the draft I think that you're probably getting him at what his floor 
return on investment would be about a you know 185 200 player and anything else would just be gravy i think that there is pretty solid potential for him to end up as like a top 150 player depending on how much he ends up playing because that's also a question out in cleveland uh, is he going to just DH? Is he going to get reps at first? Where Where is he going to play exactly? Last year, most of the time, he was at first also DHing. They do have a little bit of a logjam there with Josh Naylor. We'll see what ends up happening there. But overall, uh, a little bit worried about at-bats, but he should still be getting you, you know, 500-ish at-bats, close to 500-ish at-bats, I think would be what I would expect from him anyway. Now, let's talk about number 20 here before we wrap it up today, because he is the teammate of Josh Bell. It's Josh Naylor. And these two guys, you know, it's very tricky for me with Josh Naylor, because I was expecting him to be ranked even higher. I would have had him, honestly, if Bell had not signed, I think that he would have been a top 15 first baseman for me, just because it worries me about how much playing time he will get if he does get a day off at first base. I mean, maybe he gets to play in the outfield because he can play the outfield, uh, Josh Naylor. I think he'll still have eligibility there. Uh, maybe he won't have eligibility there anymore. Or did he, he had eligibility there on Yahoo last season for sure. Uh, let me take a look and see with Josh Naylor because it really does piss me off that different sites have different requirements for this. And it kind of just reminds me of something Justin Mason was saying on Twitter about how Every single points league has different scoring, so it's impossible to make points league content. It's tricky to make content regarding, uh, you know, positional eligibility without actually going through every single site and every single player and all their games played. I think I wish it was a little more uniform, uh, but he played only five games in the outfield this past season, so I think he'll still maintain that over on Yahoo. Um, I believe ESPN and CBS are the same. I'd have to double check, but he'll lose that outfield eligibility that he had on the NFBC site last year. So that is, that's something that's not great. But overall, you're still getting production out of him that was really, really good. Talking about, first of all, 20-plus home runs potential, and, you know, he succeeded on that. He hit 20 home runs in 122 games. If there was no Josh Bell there to take away some of those DH at-bats, then, you know, I would project him for closer to 30 home runs. But at this rate, you know, considering the fact that if he gets a day off, he'll probably just get the day off. Uh, you know, 20 to 23 home runs. That feels about right. The runs scored last year for him were a really weird one. He only had 47 runs scored despite having 79 ribbies, you know, 20 home runs. He had a good batting average. Walk rate was fine. I, it's weird that he had a 40, only 47 runs. Now, he gave you six stolen bases, uh, you know, those 79 RBIs. He was a really good fantasy asset last year. I was expecting him to just take another step forward. But, I mean, it's it's going to be kind of tricky to expect so much more than we saw last year now, considering that Josh Bell is there. But, you know, I think that, honestly, what he did last year, you can pretty much give you the exact same thing. Maybe he loses a steal or two, and he, he'll likely gain, you know, some, some runs. Because that was kind of an outlier, only having 47 runs despite playing that many games. And being that, you know, productive offensively was a little bit weird. But everything else should remain relatively the same in terms of the production you're going to get out of Josh Naylor. I'm going to say 20 home runs, 65 uh, runs scored, 80 RBIs, and a 260 batting average. Like literally like right in line with what we saw last year. Hopefully he keeps that strikeout rate down because that's one of my favorite things about him. 16% strikeout rate for a guy who is more closer to being like a power hitter. Um, you, you don't tend to see it that low. Uh, lower than it was or at least comparable to what it was in the minors typically it's going to go up a little bit but he's kept it about the same so 
there is still potential for him to be a lot better than this. But for now, let's just keep the projections relatively conservative, keep them roughly uh, within, in line with what the production uh, he gave us last year was. But guys, that will wrap it up for us today. Appreciate you guys hanging out. We're only going to do probably going forward 10 players per episode just because I do want to give you some depth on everybody. With the catcher episodes, it was the first one was fine. The second one, we had to you know kind of rush almost a little bit through it just because there are 15 people that you're talking about. And I mean, even the first one, you know, 15 people talking about in an hour, you can do it, but it doesn't give me as much time to, to go on my little rants like I like to go on here. And, you know... I think 10 people per episode is probably correct in terms of rankings. Now, we'll do one more tomorrow. We'll do, uh, you know, we'll do 10 more first basemen and get it to 30. And then we are going to really start ramping up these team previews. We have a few of them booked. This coming week, there should be two of them. We should have a White Sox preview with Mike Carter, and we should have a Red Sox preview with Adam Howe. Now, we're still figuring out exactly dates, but they should be out both later this week, and we're, we're planning out... All the other teams, we're going to get those all taken care of. And, I mean, maybe one or two of them I'll have to do solo. But for the most part, I'm going to try and bring on a guest who is from the city or follows the team or covers the team to come and talk to us about what they expect for this upcoming season. So, guys, uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button. You'll get all those podcasts right in your feed as soon as they are dropped. Go check us out over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. And also at EthosFantasyBB. That's E-T-H-O-S FantasyBB. That's where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content gets dropped, whether it be podcasts, articles, different news and notes. Anything that we do on the baseball side gets posted on our page at Ethos Fantasy BB. So make sure you give it a follow. If you're listening somewhere that allows ratings and reviews, we'd really appreciate you guys letting us know what you think on the way out the door. And yeah, we will see you again tomorrow with the last third of our first base rankings. Until then, guys, take care and cheers. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.